Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. If you would, please grab your Bibles. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 12 today, verses 13 through 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we've got Bibles in the back. Or if you don't have a CSB translation, that's the translation that I preach from, the, the Christian Standard Bible, grab one of those too. We want to make sure that you have multiple different versions in your hands. So as you turn there, let me review from last week. So this is the last week of Jesus's life. Uh, this is called Passion Week. Um, specifically, it's Wednesday. Uh, let me back up for a minute. Jesus entered Jerusalem on Monday for Passover. And Monday is a very specific day for the Passover celebration because it's, it's called Lamb Selection Day. So in other words, as the Jews were bringing their own lambs to be offered as a sacrifice for sin, God was also preparing his own son, Jesus Christ, to be the once and for all sacrifice as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So just as the Jews selected their lambs, the lambs were then tested for four days to make sure that they're perfect. And yet at the same time, God the Father was also testing God the Son. And Jesus would be tested four times as well. So this physical concept of a, a perfect sacrifice for the Passover Jews, it's also a spiritual reality for Jesus as the Lamb of God. So in other words, just as the sacrificial lambs were tested four days by the religious leaders, Jesus will also be tested four times by the religious leaders. So for the past two Sundays, we watched Jesus pass that first test. And Jesus, he not only passes the first test, but he also provided a parable, and he judges those religious leaders as inept. They are incapable of leading God's people. And that brought us to a key point last week. Even though God has shown outrageous patience, his patience is not unlimited. In other words, time has run out for the nation of Israel to repent. And today, we, we've got the second test, uh, whether or not Jesus is, is truly the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this second test, it comes specifically from the Pharisees and the Herodians. Last week, it was the Sanhedrin that involved them, but this is a specific test from the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, this is a strange partnership, since they don't have anything in common especially when it comes to politics and theology. See, the Herodians, they irritated the Pharisees with all of their politics. The Pharisees, they infuriated the Herodians with their religion. But they did have one thing in common, and that was their hatred of Jesus. The Pharisees, they hated Jesus because he was destroying their man-made religion. Not the Old Testament, but all the, all the traditions, all the man-made traditions. And the Herodians, they hated Jesus because he threatened their politics and their careers. So we got these two groups together under one common and wicked motivation, and that is to murder Jesus. 
One brother said it this way. He says, they hated Jesus more than they hated each other. And it's this hatred for Jesus as the Son of Man and the Son of God that actually unites the Pharisees and the Herodians together as one. Well, Jesus passed the first test last week. He's one for one. How's Jesus going to deal with this second test? As the spotless Lamb of God. Let's find out. If you would please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Mark chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse in verse 12, to give us some context from last week. So they were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd because they knew that he had spoken this parable against them. So they left him and they went away. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. And when they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you're so truthful. You don't care what anyone thinks. Nor do you show partiality, but you teach the way of God, and you teach it truthfully. So, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius. They brought a coin. Whose image and inscription is this? Caesar's, they replied. Well, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. Father in heaven, we stand amazed this morning at your son. Lord God, we do pray that you would give us Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would um, reveal the amazing truths that come from your word this morning. We thank you for this church gathering and the freedom to do so today. We thank you for this country. We thank you for this government. We pray, Lord God, that you would show us that you are the way and the truth and the life this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, let's take a deeper look here at verse 12. So they were looking for a way to arrest him, but they feared the crowd because they knew that he had spoken this parable against them. So they left him and they went away. So this is still Wednesday of Passion Week. Wednesday is a big day for Jesus. This is a long, long day. Jesus is still teaching in the temple. A little time has passed between verses 12 and 13, but not much time. And then verse 13, then... They sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him. They want to trap Jesus in his words. Matthew's gospel says this, that they sent their disciples, the Pharisees' disciples, to him. Luke's gospel says this, they watched closely and they sent spies. They sent their spies and they pretended to be righteous. So most likely Jesus has never seen these men before. Uh, They're trying to bait Jesus. Uh, All Jesus needs to say here is just one little minor thing wrong, and they got him. These guys, literally in this verse, they are acting like hunters, and they're going to catch Jesus with a word. The picture here is that these guys have dug a pit for Jesus, and at the bottom of the pit, these are sharp spikes 
So when Jesus falls into the pit, he has no hope of survival. They want him dead. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they are not playing a religious game with Jesus. This is as serious as serious gets. This is an incredibly violent conversation. The consequences, meaning that the consequences are life and death. So verse 14. So when they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you're so truthful, and you don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but you teach the way of God truthfully. So, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we pay? Wow. These guys are laying it on thick, aren't they? Here's the thing. Despite their insincerity, everything that they said is absolutely true. They called Jesus a teacher. He is a teacher. Teacher is a very high compliment in the first century. Uh, when, when, and then when you call someone a teacher, a second compliment was then to ask them a question, which they did. They said he's truthful. Jesus is truthful. He is the truth. And they said, well, we know that you don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. If you have the New King James Version, it, it says uh, that Jesus cares about no one. That doesn't mean that Jesus was indifferent to people. It does mean that he lives his life so utterly dependent on God the Father that he was indifferent to their opinions and he's unconcerned about their, um, their influence about their titles. But you teach the way of God truthfully. Once again, they're, they're laying it on thick. And, and once again, this is a true statement. Now keep in mind, these men despise Jesus. They loathe him. So how hard do you think it was for them to say all these wonderful things to a person that they hated? You have the Pharisaic spies. They viewed Jesus as a deceiver and a liar. They believe that Jesus is a blasphemer and that he gets his power from Satan. And it's for these reasons that Jesus must be put to death. So there's an interesting dynamic here. Everything that they said was true, and yet they don't believe a word of it. They realize that Jesus was so committed to the truth that he's not going to change his message based on human opinion or negative consequences. So back to verse 14. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Why a question on taxes? Well, taxes rubbed people the wrong way in the first century as they rub you the wrong way today. And it, it didn't just rub them the wrong way. Taxes were an explosive issue in the first century this particular tax that they're talking about, it's not a tax for land. It's not a tax for goods. It's a tax on themselves. This is a head tax, meaning this is a tax just because you're breathing Roman air. And, and the, the tax itself, it consisted of one denarius per person per year. And the reason that the Jews loathed this tax was the implication of it. It implied that they were property of Caesar. So in asking the question, they, they, they want to settle something. 
they want to settle one of the most controversial issues during this time. Because almost every Jew hated the thought of paying this tax to Caesar. They, they didn't want to give any kind of tribute to Rome. They didn't want to honor Caesar in any way. Some of the Pharisees believed that the Jews were under a moral obligation not to pay these, these taxes to Caesar. And many of them didn't, uh, especially the zealots. So in the crowd's view, if Jesus were truly the Son of God, he's not going to support paying taxes to Rome. He's just not. That's why they asked this particular question. See, they're, they're banking on Jesus saying, no, no, I'm here now. You don't have to pay taxes to Caesar anymore. And then the Herodians, who are followers of Herod, that's where they get their name, Herod, Herodians, Herodians, Herod, they would then run and they would tell the king, hey, king, we got this rogue rabbi who's telling people not to pay taxes. Instantly, the king would send out soldiers to execute Jesus. And we know this because it happened about 25 years prior. There was a guy named Judas. He was a Galilean. He was the founder of the Zealots. He led a small revolt against the Romans. The Romans were taking a census, and uh, they, they wanted to increase the taxes on the Jews. Well, it didn't work out so well for Judas the Zealot, because the Romans crushed his minor revolt. They killed him, and they killed all of his followers. The Romans, if they do one thing well, it's death. Yeah, it is. They build good roads, and if you're not on board with them, they will kill you in a heartbeat. So here's the thing. Even though that Jewish revolt failed, resentment towards the Romans, it, it rose over the years. And we see this resentment rise to an all-time high 60 years later with another Jewish revolt. The Romans eventually destroy the temple. The Romans uh, destroy the, the city of Jerusalem, just like Jesus predicted in John chapter 2. So, all that to say this. Everybody is very interested in this answer to this question. And the religious leaders, they know this. You can guarantee that these guys, these religious leaders, they spent a tremendous amount of time discussing many, many different wicked scenarios to trap Jesus. And guys, this is brilliant. Now, these religious leaders, by the way, they're not stupid, but, but they are evil. Is it lawful, Jesus, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we pay? <laughs> Can you just picture the crowd just, just coming to a standstill here? You talk about hearing a pin drop. I mean, this is great theater from Jesus. Jesus, he's, he's drawing everybody in, and, and the drama is just so thick here that the Pharisaic and, and the Herodian spies, they can barely contain themselves. They can't wait for this answer. Because if Jesus said yes to paying, paying taxes to Caesar, the crowd would what? They would immediately leave. He, he would lose the crowd. And once again, if Jesus said no to paying taxes, the Herodians going to Rome and, and they would tell the king he's starting a rebellion. The brilliance of this is that Rome would then do the, the religious leaders dirty work because they're going to kill Jesus. So either answer here, a yes or a no, the religious leaders win. 
So the trap is set. What's Jesus say? Verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. Matthew's gospel states that Jesus straight up calls these guys hypocrites. Straight up. It's ironic, right? They're trying to flatter Jesus, and Jesus instantly calls them hypocrites. I mean, there is no other man like the Son of Man. Jesus rips their smug smiles of hypocrisy off. Um, He can see right through all that deception. Now, it may have taken some time to find a denarius because most Jews refuse to carry them. Um, In doing so, by asking someone to bring this coin, Jesus, he throws these religious leaders off guard a little bit. He, He slows down the momentum of this conversation. He takes control of it. So a denarius was a silver coin, and it's minted under the authority of of the Roman emperor. Now, I do not have a denarius here, but my friend Kim Wright, he gave me a coin from uh, 15 to 26 AD. So I'm going to I'm going to pass this around for you guys to just take take a look at it. It's a small coin. So a, a denarius was it's equal to one day's wage for a Roman soldier or a Jewish day laborer. Evidently, Jesus doesn't have his wallet right? So he asked someone to bring him a coin. Um, And by doing that, by asking that question, Jesus raises the tension in the crowd and the crowd starts to murmur. Can't you just hear it? Now, I wonder how long it took for Jesus to fetch this coin. Now, there are two views on this. The first view is this, that the Jews considered these Roman coins to be miniature idols, And if they carried them, they would be violating the second commandment, which prohibits idolatry. The Jews considered these coins idolatrous because Caesar's face was stamped right on it. Boom. And it had this inscription. It said, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. On the other side, it had another inscription that read, the high priest. So, and there were many other Roman coins like this. My my point is this. The Roman emperor was not just the supreme political ruler of the Roman Empire, but he was considered the supreme religious ruler as well. He was viewed as a god. And that's why the Jews didn't carry these coins. Now, the second view is this, that the uh, denarius was probably the most common coin among the Jews, because most people in Israel were day laborers. Now, however, keep in mind, Jesus is teaching at the temple at this, at this time. This is Passover, and the temple had their own set of taxes. So you couldn't pay a temple tax with a Roman denarius. So in other words, because the coin had the image of Caesar on it, you couldn't pay the temple tax anyway. According to their own law, the Jews' own law, that they, had to, they had to give that denarius back to Rome because they had to pay the temple tax with a Jewish shekel. Regardless, Jesus doesn't have a coin. Now, do you want to take a guess on, on who had the coin? Judas. <laughs> Good guess. I, I would guess the Herodians. I would guess the Herodians. 
Because the Herodians, they're not religious people. They're, they're politicians. Verse 16, so they brought a coin. He says, whose image and inscription is this? Caesar's, they replied. So someone finally brings Jesus this coin. He holds it up to the crowd. And can't you just see him do this? I mean, can't you just hear the tension in the, in the temple? I mean, the, the silence would be deafening at this point. It's almost like the, the whole thing turns into slow motion, right? Jesus says, whose image is this? Whose inscription is this? And, the, and it's like the spies without a beat. They say, it's Caesar's. It's Caesar's. See, they think they got Jesus. So Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. So it's like Jesus just drops the mic, right? Boom, bam, and he just walks off the stage. Nobody was expecting that. Nobody. You say, wait a second, Jesus. That... That's not even one of the choices. There were only two choices. It was, that's the test. It was yes or no, true or false. So the religious spies thought. Jesus gave them a third option and and such a simple yet divinely profound answer. Basically, Jesus is saying, you know what, guys? This coin right here, it's got Caesar's picture on it. So give it back to him. You don't need this. So key point number one, paying taxes is an obligation for everyone. Paying taxes is an obligation for everyone. Even Jesus paid taxes. Think about that. The God of the universe paid taxes. See Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. Amazing story how he pays taxes. Your translation may have the word render here in this verse, render to Caesar. The idea is, in verse 17, is that you are paying something that is owed. So in other words, you have a debt to your government. So Jesus says, pay your taxes. And you say what? Dustin, I don't like that. I don't like it. Hey, man, don't shoot the messenger. Now, am I taking this this passage out of context? What else, where else in Scripture does, does Scripture talk about, God talk about taxes and the government? Let me, let me show you Romans chapter 13, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's commands, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Uh Uh-oh. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, for you, you will have its approval. For it, that's the government, for the government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason, for it is God's servant. It's an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. 
And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. So pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those that you owe taxes, tolls to those that you owe tolls, respect to those that you owe respect, and honor to those that you owe honor. So no, that's not the only place where the Word of God talks about government and taxes. So all that to say this, Scripture clearly teaches that the government is an institution of God. Now, the only time we as Christians can disobey the government, there are two big things here. Number one, when the government commands us to do something that is contrary to the Word of God. When the government commands us to do something that is contrary to the Word of God. And then we have the flip side of that as well. Number two, when the government forbids us something that the Word of God commands. So when the government forbids something that the Word of God commands, we're not going to do that either. Now, look guys, you may agree or disagree with our current presidential administration here. Here's the difference between the, uh, the Jews in the first century and the Americans in the 21st. Our administration is not demanding that we worship our president as God. That's, what, that's what's going on in first century Israel. And more importantly, look at this. It, it, look at the second half of Jesus' statement here. Verse 17. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So Jesus puts these religious spies really in an interesting situation because they thought it was commendable and righteous to balk at giving Caesar what was Caesar's. But what is far worse is not giving to God what is God's. See, the denarius, that belonged to Caesar. It had his image stamped on it. So just give that back to him. You don't need that. But the question becomes, whose image do you bear? Every one of us is stamped with the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. You bear the very image of Almighty God himself. So key point number two, Caesar owned the denarius, but he did not own the people. Caesar owned the denarius, but he did not own the people. And dear friend, our government does not own us. God does. If you're a Christian, how do you become a Christian? It's not by praying a prayer. It's not by asking Jesus into your heart. Scripture says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you become a Christian. It's confession and belief. That's how you're, you're made right with God. Why? Because one believes in the heart, that results in righteousness. That means that you can live rightly according to God. The confession of the mouth results in salvation. And then for the rest of your life, you're going to learn about repentance and what a dirty dog you are. That was such a great place for an Amen. You guys leave me hanging up here all the time. 
like I'm the only one that sins. <laughs> In all seriousness, guys, it, it's, you're, it, when you do that, your old life of sin, you, you turn from that old life. And you, you turn 180 degrees, and, and you're walking into what is right. And what Jesus is saying here is this. Let Caesar have this, this silly little coin. You don't need it. So what? He wants taxes. So what? Give it to him. Key point number three. Honoring God does not mean that you have to dishonor the government. Honoring God does not mean that you have to dishonor the government. See, it's in this text to where Jesus clearly teaches that you can do both. Jesus reveals a, a twofold responsibility, just like the coin has two sides as well. Key point number four, submission to your government is part of your submission to God. Submission to your government is part of your submission to God. So, dear friends, we do have a responsibility to our government to pay taxes. And many of us think, you know what? I got a lot more responsibility than I want paying taxes. Have you ever been on one of them taxes payment plans? Yeah, me too, Jim. Thank you. Not a whole lot of fun. It's really nice to write that last check, though. We think, you know what? I see all the news. I see all the corruption taking place. I, I see all the government going. I, I just don't want to pay. Well, you've got several, several options at this point. If you want to do something about the corruption, then I would suggest that you run for office and you change that. But sitting back in your lazy boy recliner complaining, that doesn't leave you of your responsibility to pay your taxes. And we see here from the mouth of Jesus, not paying taxes, that is a sin. It is a command from Jesus. All right, lastly, the crowd said they were utterly amazed at him. Well, that's an understatement. Why were they amazed? Two reasons. Number one, they were amazed that Jesus didn't fall into the trap. It wasn't a true or false question. We all thought it was. It wasn't a yes or no. Jesus gave a third option. And number two, Jesus, he reveals the answer to the real problem. There's the real problem here. And the real problem is that these, these folks were not giving to God what is God's. What is rightly God's? I mean, if, if you're a born-again believer, what's God's? It's our life, right? Many times we think, you know, in the trials of our lives, we have, to, we have to consider a third option, a God option. Many times we get stuck and we think, oh, it's either this or that. And, and rarely it's one way or another, especially in the trials of life. We tend to believe in our self-centered, our sin-stained world that there are only two options to a particular problem. And we, we often have to recognize, you know what? I could be wrong. I could be wrong on an, on an issue that I think that I've been right all my life. 
And this is why waiting on God is so important for that third option. Pastor Brian said something very interesting during one of our conversations over the past couple months. He said, you know, it's, it's one thing to wait on God. It's another thing when you have to. So dear friends, God always has a third option for the situation that you're in, whether you like it or not. Maybe you've been waiting. Maybe you've been waiting for this third option for years. Maybe you've been waiting on God to show up and do something for decades. And maybe you're tired and maybe you want to give up. And maybe you've turned into a religious Pharisee coming to Jesus, demanding answers that you think you know the answers to. Well, my my prayer for you today is that you would apply Jesus' teaching. This is not just a lesson on paying taxes. Uh, Jesus is showing us how to live in two kingdoms here at the same time. There is a worldly kingdom of sin and of death. And we see this kingdom every day. And then there is the spiritual kingdom of salvation and life that we cannot see. That's God's kingdom. And we long for God's kingdom. Let me paraphrase Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. The Apostle Paul, I'm going to paraphrase this for effect. He says, to live in this worldly kingdom is Christ, but to die for God's kingdom, it's gain. See, many, many times we get these two kingdoms mixed up, don't we? So let me address my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Let me ask you a few questions. What are you giving to the world that is not yours to give? And number two, what are you withholding from God that is rightly His? Are you allowing God to transform your mind? Are you presenting your body as a living sacrifice? Do you truly believe that God is sovereign and that he has you in the palm of his nail-scarred hand? No matter what your situation is. Do you believe that that God knows the numbers of of hairs on your head and and that he loves you more than, than you could ever fathom? And no matter what physical pain, no matter what emotional trials that you go through, that God lives in you. Have you ever pondered that? God lives in you. He hasn't left you here as an orphan. You guys believe that? If you believe it, then let's live it out. And dear friend, I want to encourage you to, to share it to share that with the Verde Valley. In fact, I double dog dare you to go brag on Jesus this, this next week. I double, I double down, I, I dare you. You start bragging on Jesus, just to one person this week, guys. All the people that you meet, you brag on Jesus to one person. You watch what God does. Man, there, there's so much joy in, in fulfilling that command of of the Great Commission. You can live in this world and not be a slave to it. You can be a witness to the world and not let the world stain you. You can be salt. You can be light. You can fulfill the purpose, uh, God's purpose here on earth. But see, here's the thing. We have to choose to do these things. 
It's not just going to happen. And dear friend, look, if you have no desire to do any of this, if you're dragging yourself here, someone dragged you here today, uh, and you consider yourself a, a Christian, you got no desire to do any of this, then Scripture says you need to check your, your salvation with fear and trembling. If you have no desire what, whatsoever to stop living the way that you've always lived, you most likely, Scripture says, that you're not saved. You may have prayed a prayer but you haven't believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And your life proves that. Don't kid yourself here this morning, guys. Don't do that. It's been said that hell is too hot and it's too long for you to be wrong. Serious stuff. If you're in that thought process right now, I pray that you wake up, that you repent for the kingdom of God is near. It's near. Now, to my unsaved friends, if you have not confessed that Jesus is Lord, you, do, you haven't believed in your heart that he, that God, Jesus was dead. He was in the ground for three days, and then he walks out of his own grave. God raised him from the dead. If you don't believe that, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for to be made right with God, to experience the peace of God, to be reconciled back to God? Why would you wait one minute longer to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart? It's been said many, many times there are two truths that no one can get away from, death and taxes. Dear friends, you're paying taxes today. And death is around the corner tomorrow. Did you guys know that you were going to die? Newsflash, you heard it here first. We, but don't we do that though? We, we, we act like we're not. We live our lives like we're not ever going to die, that we're not ever going to see this Jesus, this God face to face. But today, you do have a choice. You do have a choice. It's either life or death, death or life. Life is found in the kingdom of God where Jesus experienced God's wrath for your sin. Death is found in the kingdom of yourself. That's the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And this is where you will experience God's wrath for your sin for eternity. So when it comes to salvation, there is no third option. There are two options for eternal life. Number one, Jesus paid for your sins. And number two, you paying for your sins. Brings us to our last key point, key point number five. And what Jesus is saying is, is this. Dear friend, you pay your, your tax debt, but let me pay your sin debt. You pay your tax debt, but let Jesus pay your sin debt. If you have any questions on the gospel message, Jesus, any, anything that I've mentioned here today, we have a prayer room through the foyer and to the right. We would love to just spend some time with you, answer those questions. Father in heaven, you give us many, many third options if we are willing to wait for you. I guess that's easier said than done. 
we don't want to wait. We want, to, we want answers right now. But Lord, waiting is how you grow us up. So thank you for the waiting. Thank you that your options are always better than options A or B or true or false or yes or no from a human perspective. Thank you that your ways are always better than ours, that your ways are always higher than ours. Lord God, forgive us for our sins of not waiting, of being irritated with you because you're not on our schedule. Forgive us, Lord, when we don't want to pay taxes. And forgive us, Lord God, when we don't want to give give back what is rightly yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.